Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We're starting a new series this weekend, uh, and the title of the series is A House Undivided. A House Undivided. Now, some of you got the email that I had sent out, and you already know what the title of this message is. Uh, And I'm just going to tell you that this series is kind of a big boy, big girl series. I'm just letting you know that, all right? Um, And there are going to be moments where possibly you get a little frustrated with me, okay? And here's what I want you to remember in those moments. This is not me, okay? I'm going to use scripture. I'm just telling you what I sense the Lord is saying, not just to our church in this day, but to his church in this day on the earth, right? And some of it is pretty strong, okay? Which we would expect. Scripture says, clearly, I'm not a son if he doesn't discipline me. And so discipline is a part of our relationship with God. So it's not that he's harsh. It's actually that he's loving anytime we get discipline, all right? So here's the title of the message. But before I give it to you, let me read the kind of the foundation for this entire series. It's Luke chapter 11, verse 17. Jesus said, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. A house divided will fall. What we're going to talk about for almost the next two months, we're going to talk about unity the importance of unity in the body of Christ, especially right now. Now, this message is probably one of the two strongest of the entire series, and you'll figure that out by the title, and here's why. If you take division lightly, you cannot say you take unity seriously. If you take division lightly, you cannot say you take unity seriously. And what I see as I look across the church, capital C, is people are taking division less seriously than ever before. And here's what they're calling it, perspective or opinion. Perspective or opinion. And we're gonna talk about this later in the series, but I'm telling you right now, some of us have exalted our own opinions above the agenda of God's kingdom. Period, point blank. I don't know where, we, where and when we got to a place where we actually as believers began to think that my opinion is more important than his. I don't understand. I don't know if it's social media. I don't know what's going on. But why is everyone thinking that what they think is more important than what God thinks? And I get all these emails and I'm like, listen, and here's what's crazy. There's no scripture in it. And so I say, hey, show me book, chapter, and verse. You you fire off 18 pages, show me book, chapter, and verse. You can't, because it's just opinion. And I'm going to give this to you. This is strong. Here's the title of the message. Division is demonic. Division is demonic. Period, point blank. You're going to see it in Scripture. No human, no believer can make the case that divisiveness is godly or scriptural. It's impossible. And yet we're seeing it all throughout the body of Christ right now. 
And we have got to be reminded just how dangerous division really is, but also just how powerful unity is. Galatians chapter five, if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip there. And if you're, if you're the nerdy type, you can put a marker in James chapter three. We're gonna start in these two passages. Galatians chapter five throws out a list of sinful behaviors that most of us really wouldn't argue over. Like we, we read the list and especially the first half and we go, oh yeah, that's, that's sinful behavior, sinful behavior. But then there are a couple of things sprinkled into the middle that I don't think we take as seriously as some of the other sinful behaviors. So let me just read it to you. Galatians chapter five, starting in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now that's a powerful statement right there. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your flesh, the, the results are very clear. Here are the results. Sexual immorality. We agree, that's a sinful behavior. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. Idolatry. Sorcery. Oh, we, we agree, sinful behavior. Sorcery is sinful, right? Hostility. Here's where it transitions. Quarreling. Think about that for a second. In the same bucket as sexual immorality and lustful pleasures and sorcery. Quarreling. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition. Dissension. Division. Envy. You see this middle third deals with other people? And then we get back to drunkenness. All of us agree. Drunkenness, sinful behavior. Wild parties. Some translations say orgies. All agree. Sinful behavior. And other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a strong statement. See, when we look at sorcerers and we go, yeah, not inheriting the kingdom of God. But do we look at people who are divisive and contentious and go, not inheriting the kingdom of God? Do we look at ourselves when we are being divisive and say, whoa, that kind of behavior is not indicative of someone who is inheriting the kingdom? The birthplace of divisiveness is a heart which contains jealousy and selfishness. Now flip over to James chapter 3, and I'll show you part of why I titled this the way that I did. James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Okay, this is far more serious than we give it credit. Division is extremely dangerous. And I want to give you three things today that I personally believe the church is going to have to come into agreement on 
so that we can kick the spirit of division in the teeth. But not just do that, we do it by walking in a spirit of unity. I'm gonna give you three things we've got to agree on if we're gonna do it. And let me just let the cat out of the bag. It's not politics. Not step on anybody's toes. But the term Christian, I-A-N, the Latin suffix I-A-N, means belonging to the party of. If you ever ask me what party I belong to, I belong to the party of Christ. I vote his conscience, not mine. I vote his values, not mine. And if you make that about a specific political party, let me just remind you, the Jews in Jesus' day missed their Messiah because they were too hung up on politics. That's savage right there. That's just the truth. I'm not saying I'm not about politics. I live in a nation where politics are important. Judges in our courts are important. I care very much, but make no mistake, I will never care more about what goes on on this earth than I do the fact that we as believers have been charged with bringing heaven to earth and representing his kingdom. So here's point number one. The church must agree on the designer of division. The church must agree on the designer of division. Genesis chapter three, verse one. This, many call this the fall, all right? It's the story of Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, I don't have enough time. I'm just gonna read you verse one. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. And one day the serpent asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in this garden? Okay, get the picture. Adam and Eve are walking with God on a daily basis. And the serpent slithers into the middle and separates Eve and says, did God really say you couldn't eat from these trees? Like he got into the middle there in the garden. Okay. Now, the, I, I don't have a ton of time, but the devil, that's not his name. Okay. It, it's a term. And the term, it, the original language, it's the word diabolos. And it shares a root with another verb called, uh, that is diabolane. This word diabolane means to split, to be a splitter. Okay. The term that is most often used to describe Satan, which is the devil, means to be a splitter. Okay, from the very beginning, the devil was dividing. Satan in the garden divided Eve from the truth. Satan in the garden divided Adam from Eve. Satan divided in the garden. He divided Adam and Eve from God. In the garden, Satan divided Adam and Eve from the garden. It was as a result of what he led them to do that they were kicked out of the garden. And the list goes on and on and on. Cain and Abel, who divided? Satan has been dividing since the beginning. But see, theologically, most people look at Genesis 3 and go, that's the fall. 
That's, that's the original fall. Here's what I would say. Long before. Oh, let me give you another one-liner. God united the first two humans on earth and Satan wasted no time creating division. From the beginning. But Satan was a deviant divider long before he got Eve to eat in Eden. Let me show you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. This is speaking about when Satan was cast out of heaven. Let me show it to you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Okay, when Satan fell from heaven, when he was cast out, did he go alone? Okay, how many fallen angels went with him? One third. He had been dividing long before he got Eve to eat in Eden. He took a third of the angels with him. Okay, listen. If the church is going to be unified in the way in which it was created to be, we must agree Satan is the designer of all division. Division is not a God thing. Unity is a God thing. Just look at the Trinity. You want to know what unity looks like? Look at the Trinity. They're so unified, it's hard to explain. How about them apples? Preston, how would you describe unity? Look at the Trinity. I'll spend the rest of my life studying that and not be able to adequately be able to describe three distinct persons who are in essence one. They're so unified. Unity is a God thing. Division is a demonic thing. Here's point number two. The church must agree on the dangers of division. The church must agree on the dangers of division. The more dangerous something is, the more serious you are in telling others to stay away from it. Can we all agree on that? The more dangerous something is, the more serious you are in telling others to stay away from it. I'll give you an example. I was fishing with my brothers this last week, and the waters were, were still running pretty fast. And in certain parts of the river, they, they were ripping. And as the water got deeper, it got harder and harder to not get swept away. I fell on my face. I, I got swept out from underneath my feet. I mean, it, it, the water was moving. And any time we would hit a pocket of that kind of water, I or one of my brothers would say, hey, hey, watch out. This is a tough spot right here. And if it was really bad, we'd go stand by it so that there was no confusion about where exactly the toughest steps were. Okay, you get the picture? Then, when I got home from Colorado, we took a one-day family trip up to Flagstaff. And on the way back, we started talking. I have three teenagers now. And we were talking about who they date. And I was talking to the boys about our family standard. And if you've read through Proverbs, um, I was explaining to my sons what kind of woman I will refuse to allow them to marry. And if you want to know what kind, just go read Proverbs. I didn't come up with it, okay? 
It's not a skin color. It's not a specific background. It's a lifestyle. And I mean, I was really strong with the boys. And I said, I don't have the right to tell you who to marry, but trust and believe. I do have the right to tell you who you're not allowed to marry. Now that's not based on my opinion. Okay, I can't say, I don't really like her. So I don't, I'm gonna say, no, you can't marry. Okay, this is not the bachelor, all right? And I'm not the judge. But I do as their father and as the priest of my home have not just the right, but the responsibility of saying, hey, no, no, no. Scripture says we're to stay away from that right there. Do you want to heat burning coals into your lap? No, daddy, then don't marry someone like that. It's not a statement of judgment. Not at all. I've seen miraculous things happen. If you want scriptural precedent, go read the book of Hosea. But I was listening to what I was saying to my kids, and I was realizing how important this is to me. Because I was a lot stronger when I was talking about who they couldn't marry than I was in the river trying to save my brothers from being swept down the river a couple hundred yards. Paul, when you read through his letters, gets really serious about several things. I mean, really serious. And one of the things Paul is most serious about is division. It was one of his greatest concerns. Heresy was another one. Division was right there. He talks about it all the time. Let me just read you a couple of instances. Instances. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Watch out for people who cause divisions. Watch out. And that's what I was saying to my sons. Hey, watch out. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teachings, teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from people like this. See, we look at heretics and we go, stay away from them. But do we put dividers in the same bucket as heretics? I would say we don't. Titus chapter three, verse 10. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. That's gangster right there. <laughs> give them a first warning, give them a second warning. After that, have nothing to do with them. Does that sound pastoral? Many of us would say no. I would say that sounds like one of the most pastoral things you can say. Why? Because division is demonic. I'm not talking about people who disagree with me. I have people in this service right now that we disagree with theologically on certain things. And I love them and they love me. We're family. Love them. I'm not talking about playing some card to say, if you disagree with me, you're out. I, I said to him, in an email, we were talking a couple weeks ago, and I said, listen, in two years, I'll probably disagree a lot with me, with what I'm saying today. I'm in a process. So are you. Have nothing more to do with them. For people like that, people who are causing divisions, have turned away from the truth. And their own sins condemn them. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you. I plead with you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, 
but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That's our goal, no divisions. Now, when we talk about the dangers of division, I don't have time to go through a a great list, so I'm just going to give you one of the biggest dangers of division. When we are divisive, as followers of Jesus Christ, we destroy our credibility. When we are divisive, we destroy our credibility as followers of Jesus Christ. Let me show it to you in Scripture. John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now listen to verse 35. Your love for one another, other believers, okay, within the family of God, your love for one another, Jesus says, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Okay, so question then what does it prove when we act like we hate one another? When we argue on social media, back and forth. Is that what love looks like? No. Here's the problem. The church cannot make disciples when we are not behaving like disciples. Highest calling on the church is to make disciples. True? Okay, we can't make disciples when we're not behaving like disciples. And Jesus said, how will the world know that you're my disciples? By your love for one another. This is a strong illustration, and I'm not really going to be able to go through much of point three. Because we're going to take communion together. And I asked my wife for permission to, to kind of paint this picture. But if we lose our credibility when we divide the family of God, listen, we can disagree. I'm not talking about disagreement. I'm, call, I'm talking about being divisive. I want to help you understand what that's like. What would it be like if every Friday night, it was date night for me and my wife? And we went to the same restaurant every Friday night, and it just so happened to be the same restaurant that you went to every Friday night. And so you saw us for years, sitting at the same table in the same restaurant, ordering the same thing, loving on each other, holding hands, gazing into each other's eyes. And then one Friday, I show up with another woman. And I'm kissing on her. I'm mauling her. And then the next Friday, I'm there with a different woman. And I'm all over her. And then the next Friday, I got a different woman. Okay, question. In your mind, would I lose credibility as your pastor if I behaved that way? Could you just put your hands up if you'd say yes? Okay, hold them up high, keep them up. If you want to know what a believer looks like as it relates to their credibility, you can put your hands down. Just wanted everyone to know you're all raising your hands. When a believer operates in divisive and contentious ways, they lose the same kind of a credibility. 
however you'd feel about me making out with a different woman every Friday night at a restaurant publicly is the same amount of credibility you and I lose every time we are divisive within the family of God. And if this is too strong for you, let me just point you to Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things, no seven, which God detests, he despises. And the last one is a brother who sows discord among the brethren. It disgusts him. It angers him. In the same way, you'd want to come punch me out because I was messing around on my wife, my bride. Listen to me. Anytime a believer divides the family of God, they lose the same amount of credibility that I would if I were making out with a different woman every Friday night in public. That leads us to point number three. We've got to rush through this. We're already going to start late. I don't care. Point number three, the church must understand the why behind the devil's plan to divide the church. We're going to blow through this quickly, but this is important. The church must understand the why behind the devil's plan to divide the church. Here's the first. Satan knows the power of unity. This is his why behind being so divisive. Genesis 11, verse 5. But the Lord came down to look at the city. This is the Tower of Babel. Think about this. God comes down to inspect the Tower of Babel. That's a big deal. The Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, God says, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this or with this being said, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. If you don't think the devil was taking notes when God came down to stare at Babel and inspect it and God audibly said, nothing is impossible for these people because they're so united. If you don't think Satan heard that and went, oh, note to self, unity is powerful, and I better do something about it. Second thing, Satan knows how important a unified church is to Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 20, think about all the things Jesus could pray. Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one. This was Jesus' prayer. I pray they'll all be one, just as you, Father, and I are one. And you are in me, and I am in you. If you don't think Satan was there taking notes going, whoa, he really cares about unity. Like, that's his ask? He wants them to be one? Okay. Then my goal is to cause them to be two, and then three, and then four. And here's the third. Satan knows the impact of a unified church. Satan knows the impact of a unified church. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. I love, this is what, as a pastor, this is one of my favorite verses. But unfortunately, I don't think this can be said of the capital C church on the earth right now. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. Question, what was the result what was the result? The church didn't just grow. They exploded. They took over the earth. The church exploded. And scripture says the Holy Spirit added to their number every day. Why? One of the biggest reasons they were united around Jesus. The closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more important unity in his church really is. And the more important unity in the church 
becomes, the more dead set the devil is on dividing it. And here's what I need you to remember out of everything we've talked about so far. When you divide, you are doing the devil's job for him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna take communion, but before we do, I want us just to have a moment where Paul was very clear that before we take communion, we should really take stock of what's going on. I want you just to take a moment. I want you to think about the last five, six months, maybe the last couple of years. If you were to sit down with the God of the universe, would he say, you've been a uniter? Or would he say, you've looked more like the divider? Here's the great thing about God. He loves when we repent, when we acknowledge, when we confess our sin. We let the blood of Jesus wash over it once again. And then we turn and we walk in a new way. I want you just to take a moment. Let's do business. There's anything getting in the way of you being a fully functioning son or daughter of the most high God in the family of God, building the kingdom of God on the earth today. Just repent. Now on your seat were the elements and I want you to take them in this moment. Take out the bread. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. It's one of my favorite things and I don't always get to do it because I want members of the staff to grow in leading in moments like this. But I just wanna remind you of the beauty of communion. Communion is the single most expensive in the his- meal in the history of humanity. There has never been a more expensive meal than this. For those of you who are married or dating, you know what it's like when your loved one treats you to a very expensive meal. It's special. Maybe it costs four, five, six hundred dollars, maybe a thousand. Makes you feel special because they're sending a message. I value you. Listen to me closely. This meal didn't cost money, it cost the Son of God his life. And he looked at you and he said, I have access to every word in every language. And I'm trying to devise a way to communicate to you how much I love you. But words aren't seeming to do it justice and I have access to every one of them. I've got it. Greater love hath no man than to lay his life down for another. I know how I will communicate to you for the rest of your days and for all eternity just how much I love you. I am going to die in your place. As we take this bread, 
be mindful of the fact that this is his body, which was broken for you, motivated by his love for you. Take and eat. Now take the cup, which represents his blood, which was shed for us. And remember, before you take it, this is the most beautiful thing on the planet. The blood of Jesus, which washes over every one of your sins. He did this so he could spend forever with you and not one of your sins would get in the way of that happening. Remember him as you drink this cup. Let's take it. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna do one more thing. If you're here, you're watching online and you don't know Jesus personally, you're not a part of the family of God yet, I want you to know you can be. I was supposed to have already started the next service, but I want you to know the only thing that matters to me in this moment is if you don't know Jesus, you can. It will literally change your life. It will make everything magically better. What I promise you it will do is no matter how bad things get, it'll all still be okay because the God of the universe will be with you. The spirit of the living God will be dwelling inside of you. And if you're here in this room or you're watching online and you'd say, I wanna be a part of the family of God. I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, just put your hand up. Wherever you are watching online, just put your hand up. Anybody else? I wanna be a part of the family of God. I don't wanna live in shame about the things I've done any longer. I want the blood of Jesus to cover it all. All right, if you raised your hand, I want you just to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. I've screwed up. But I believe that you are the son of God. And I believe you came to this earth to die on that cross for me and my sin. And I believe God raised you from the dead. I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to be friends with God. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I turn from my ways and I run towards you. I want to spend forever with you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me that chance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to do something for me. I want you to text the name Jesus to the number 24587. And somebody will reach out to you. Or we're not going to bug you or bother you, I promise. We just want to help you get started in this journey with Jesus. Best decision you've ever made, whether you realize it or not, all of heaven is celebrating right now. The angels are throwing a party because of what you just did. 
And if you made that decision, please text the name Jesus to 24587 and we'll reach out to you, all right? Let me pray a blessing and we'll dismiss and we'll get the next service in here. God, thank you so much for sending your son to die. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, I pray he would be lifted up in this day more than ever before, that the body of Christ would come together in agreement around Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. God, I pray that your church would unify in ways like never before and that we would be a beacon of unity in this valley and that we would see your response as we come together as a family and unite around Jesus. In Christ's mighty name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.